So today we are continuing our sermon series, All I Want for Christmas is Jesus, and we're focusing on the, the Advent theme of joy. And Laura and I are both very fortunate uh, that we have both sets of parents who love to dough over and spoil Daisy. So <laughs> needless to say, we have, uh, we've been having a number of presents uh, that the pile just keeps to seem to keep growing and growing uh, in our closet, and we're, we were wrapping some last night, and I'm just thinking about the joy that is going to be on Daisy's face when she opens up this big pile of presents on Christmas morning. And uh, we know she is going to be filled with joy as she rips open up all the paper, and she gets to play with her new presents. And now, that's a certain type of joy, uh, but I don't think it's exactly the same thing as biblical joy or the joy that Jesus offers us in Christmas. The joy that Jesus gives us goes deeper. It goes deeper into our souls, and it's, it's a joy that's not dependent upon our circumstances. It's not dependent upon your bank account. It's not dependent upon your health or your wealth or how things are going in your life. No, it's a joy that is deep-seated in our souls. And so this morning, I want to talk about the secret of finding joy in Jesus Christ. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me. We're going to be looking at our lectionary text for today, Isaiah 61. And in Isaiah 61, there is a messenger, there is a Messiah, who is going to proclaim good news for all of God's people who have suffered the pain of judgment and exile. And that's almost how it always is in life. The message of joy always comes to us in the midst of struggle and pain. In the same way, this is how this message came to the people who were in the midst of struggle and pain. Good news of joy was brought to them. And we know that from Luke chapter 4, that hundreds of years later, after uh, this prophecy was written down, one day Jesus Christ went to a synagogue in his hometown of, of Nazareth, and he stood up to read the scroll, and it was Isaiah 61. And then he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So as we read the words of the prophet Isaiah, we also are at liberty to hear the words of Jesus Christ, proclaiming then 2,000 years ago, but also proclaiming to you and I this morning, good news of joy. Let's, let's look at the beginning of chapter 61. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. So we're, we're going to be looking at this whole passage this morning, but I want to ask the question, how does Jesus Christ bring us joy? A few points on that this morning. Number, number one, Jesus brings us joy because Jesus proclaims to us good news. Jesus proclaims to us good news. So in the story, after Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends upon him, and then the Holy Spirit sends him out into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Jesus comes out of the wilderness victorious, and he makes his first stop in his ministry, his hometown of Nazareth, where he goes into the synagogue and reads Isaiah 61. Now, you need to understand that the Jewish expectation for the Messiah was that he would come and deliver the people, that he would redeem and restore them by delivering them from their enemies Delivering, delivering them from the political powers that were over them, restoring all injustices, and by giving them God's favor and blessing upon the people. 
So the expectation was that really it kind of boiled down to two things, salvation and judgment. Salvation for the people and judgment upon the people's enemies. And so, or as Isaiah puts it, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. God's going to put all things right. Now, here's what's really interesting. Because I don't think Jesus Christ ever did anything that was unintentional. He was always intentional in what he did in his ministry. And when he stands up and reads this passage, he doesn't read the whole thing. He stops. And he stops right after the part that says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But then he does not read the part that says, the day of vengeance of our God. Why would he do that? I mean, Jesus talked about judgment all the time. It's not like he was afraid of speaking about the judgment of God. But see, this was the surprise in the story. This was the twist in the story that the people were not expecting. Because the expected time of the Messiah was to be a time of both salvation and judgment. But now the surprise twist is, right now is the time of salvation. And later is the time for judgment. Right now is the year of the Lord's favor, but when, I, when Jesus comes again will be the time of judgment. So this will be, in that time, that's when God will set all things right. That's when God will reverse every injustice. That's when God will heal this world. So in other words, Jesus is saying, in my ministry, right now, God's favor, God's salvation is available to you. It's not the time for judgment. That time will come. But it's the time for healing, for freedom for joy in my favor. And Jesus says this good, news, this good news comes to the poor. And certainly Jesus and his disciples were good news to the poor, and that includes the materially, materially poor, the monetarily poor, and God has always had a special concern for them. But the Hebrew word for poor here has a, a much larger meaning than that. It's the Hebrew word anawim. And I want to quote to you from the biblical scholar John Oswald, who gives a, a lot of color to this word. He says that the, the, poor, the word for anawim, the poor, it says it speaks of all who are distressed and in trouble for any reason. Those who are so broken by life that they have no more heart to try. Those who are so bound, bound up in their various addictions that liberty and release are a cruel mirage. Those who think that they will never again experience the favor of the Lord or see his just vengeance meted out against those who have misused him. It's to those who think that their lives hold nothing more than ashes, sackcloth, and the fainting heaviness of despair. These are they to whom the servant and Messiah shouts, good news. And with the Gospel of Matthew, it paints a picture uh, of Jesus' uh, teaching by crafting it in uh, the form of a sermon, his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the opening words of that sermon, Jesus Christ says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. All who are poor in spirit, all who feel that they are at the end of their rope, all who fear that they have sinned too greatly, all who have had sorrow upon sorrow happen, all who are weary and burdened and filled with anxiety or despair, Jesus Christ says, good news. You are blessed in my kingdom. You will be comforted. You will have my favor. You will have my forgiveness. You will have my freedom and you will have my joy. 
And good, good news like this is cause. It is reason for joy, friends. You know, I, I remember when I was uh, candidating to be the senior pastor of our church if, several years ago now. Can you believe that? Uh, and we were anxiously awaiting. Uh, I had done several interviews with the committee, and uh, I knew there were other candidates out there, and I, I, I felt good about it, but I wasn't sure. And I was young, and I was, you know, wasn't sure how this was going to work out. And uh, Laura was pregnant with Daisy at the time, and uh, we were going to be graduating seminary. So there was kind of a lot of anxiety about what is my future going to be like, and am I, am I going to get this opportunity? So we were hanging out with some friends, and uh, we received a call from Peter Smith, our search committee chair at that time. And, he, and I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially says to me on the phone, Nate, I got, I got good news. <laughs> we would like you to be the candidate to be the senior pastor of our church. Now, at that time, I wanted to say over the phone, Woohoo! <laughs> yeah! That's good news. Now, I didn't think that'd be appropriate to the search committee chair to, to be shouting for joy over the phone, but I was ecstatic. I was so excited because I love this church, and I knew this was a great opportunity to be a pastor here. And, and by the way, I still, I still feel that way. It was good news for joy to celebrate, to celebrate. And friends, when Jesus Christ came into this world, it's like God called you on the phone. He says, I got good news. I know you have anxiety. I know what you're going through. I know you have despair, but I have good news for, of great joy for you. You can be set free today. I have good news. I will comfort you. Good news. I am here for you. Good news. No matter what the world says, you are blessed in my kingdom. Good news. You can be forgiven and you are forgiven. Good news. You can be healed. Good news. God's grace and favor is upon you. Good news. God has a great future in store for you. Would you like to enter in? That's the good news. You know, they're all, these are all kinds of ways that Jesus' message is good news for us, but I think that there's one really simple way to say it. It's, it was the main cry. It was the main motto. It was the main slogan of the early church, and it was this. Jesus Christ is Lord. The one who died and rose again is Lord. He hasn't left his throne. He's still the king. He is still ruling over all. In fact, earlier, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 52, he said, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those uh, of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The good news is, our God reigns. Jesus is on the throne, and now He is Lord of all, and He has made a way for you. So therefore, nothing in this life can ever separate you from his love. Nothing can ever ultimately harm you. The brokenness of this world can never take it away. There's nothing that any human being can do. There's nothing that Satan can do. There's nothing that this world can do that can ever take this good news away. It is eternally secure for you. It is ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. And now you have an, uh, a treasure in heaven that is waiting for us that is imperishable, it is never fading, and nothing can take it away. Amen. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Jesus proclaims to us good news. That's number one. Number two, Jesus comforts us in our sorrows, and he promises to redeem them all. Jesus comforts us in our sorrows, and he promises to redeem them all. 
The prophet Isaiah says the Messiah is going to, in verse 2, comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit, instead of a, a, a spirit of despair. Friends, have you ever considered the idea and the truth that Jesus is a comforter? Jesus is a comforter. That's who he is. One of his main aims in his life and in his by the power of the Holy Spirit is to bring you comfort. That is what he longs to do. So when the psalm says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit, we know that on this side of the gospels, we can say that Jesus Christ is close to those who are brokenhearted and he is at work saving those who are crushed in spirit. Now, in the Lord's wisdom and the brokenness of our world, obviously, as the psalm says, there is a crushing of our spirits. There is a deep sense of sorrow and brokenness to our hearts that we experience. But the Lord comes to us. Jesus comes to us in those moments as a comforter, longing to be your Savior, longing to comfort you. So blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And that's a promise. And there's also the promise that Jesus is somehow going to redeem and restore all of the brokenness and the pain that we've experienced in this life. And I want you to notice in the text the prominence of the word instead. Did you notice that in the passage? Comes up several times. It says to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. It's, it's a great reversal. All of this is, is getting reversed. All of these sorrows are getting reversed because this is what our Savior promises. So in Jesus Christ, we receive salvation instead of condemnation, redemption instead of loss, victory instead of defeat, mercy instead of judgment, peace instead of chaos, hope instead of despair, love instead of indifference, life instead of death, and joy instead of mourning. Amen? What instead do you need Jesus to do for you today? What instead do you need in your life? And because of Jesus' presence with us, there, there, we experience some of this joy now. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit as we communion with, him, a communion with Him. But we also know that not everything will be restored in this life. There is a future fulfillment for which we await, and how appropriate for Advent. One day, this promise will fully be fulfilled. And friends, I don't think it's even possible for us to fathom an inch of what this is going to be like. But it's helpful for us to consider because the Apostle Paul says, I consider, in Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, God is writing the best story of all time. He is writing the best love story, the best redemption story, the best victory story, and He is at work redeeming and beautifying all that we've gone through, and one day it will all be worked out for our good and His glory. So remember the promise this morning that nothing is wasted with God. Nothing is wasted with God. Not an ounce of your story, not an ounce of your pain, God is at work and he will redeem it. But friends, if you could just see, if you could just see the end of the story now. Right now we're in the middle of the plot. 
and you're wondering, why, why are these characters doing this? Why is this going on in the plot? Why aren't we at the... We're not at the end of the story yet. But if you could just see the end, your hearts would rejoice. If you could just see where God is taking the world, your hearts would rejoice. If you could see what you are going to become in Christ, you wouldn't believe it. If you could see with your eyes the blessings of heaven, the eternal and joyous life to which you are promised, you would greatly rejoice. If you could see how God is going to make everything beautiful in His time, your hearts would leap for joy. If you could see specifically how God is going to redeem your pain, you wouldn't believe it. If you could see how God is going to right every wrong, turn over every injustice, heal every injury, redeem this planet, resurrect our bodies, defeat Satan for good, and forever be our king. If you could just get a glimpse of that, you would rejoice. But friends, our sight is so limited. We're in the middle of the story. But we need to think about how God is going to one day do the great reversal and turn it all around. In fact, one of my favorite worship leaders, Misty Edwards, in one of her songs, she says, He's going to turn it all around. Just wait and see. He's going to make everything beautiful just in time. Everything is in my hands. It's going to be all right. You're going to be okay. It's just a matter of time. That's all it is. It's just a matter of time. Just wait and see. You know, for the first time in my life, I've had a, a big experience. I, I'm, I'm actually listening to a musical soundtrack for the first time for fun. And <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty big deal, pretty big deal in my life. And uh, so as, as Hamilton might say, there's a million things he hasn't done, but just you wait. See, it's only a matter of time. There's a million things that God hasn't done yet, a million things that he's going to restore, a million things of ways that he's going to beautify and redeem this world. But you just have to wait. Just wait and see. It's just a matter of time. So I want to ask you this morning, friends, do you trust him? Do you trust your Savior? This is what he promises for us. You know, it's, it's so good and comforting to know that what is most valuable to you is in good hands. You know, if you have kids, when your kids are in good hands, that's, that's a good feeling, right? Uh, and uh, this morning, to no surprise to many of you, I'm going to use another Michael Jordan analogy. But I want you to imagine with me, can you imagine being on Michael Jordan's team in that 90s decade? If you saw, if you, if you saw it in person or whether you saw it in the new documentary that came out, can you imagine being on MJ's team? You know, you're, you're, you're down by two against the Utah Jazz. They have the ball, but you just know. <laughs> MJ's going to do something about this. He's going to go steal the ball from Carl Malone. He's going to dribble it down and hit the game winner. You just knew. You knew it was coming. You knew he was going to turn it all around. And friends, we're on Jesus' team. We're on Jesus' team. The Lord of the world, the one who has risen from the dead, he is on our side. So even if it looks like the world or Satan is up by 200 or 2 million. We got Jesus Christ on our side. He will turn it all around. He will have the victory. So there is nothing to fear or to despair. But do you trust him? Do you trust him? And if you turn to him, he will comfort you in your sorrow. And then one day he will make everything beautiful in his time. That's number two. Jesus comforts us in our sorrows and he promises to redeem them all. And finally, 
We have joy in Jesus because Jesus gives us his righteousness. Jesus gives us his righteousness. Look at verse 10 in our passage today. It says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, and he has arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Friends, the heart of the gospel is that Jesus has done something for us that we could have never done for ourselves. He has given us his own righteousness. He has clothed us with his righteousness. See, in order for us to be right with God, in order for us to have our sins wiped away and to have our, righteous, our account righteous before God, there's nothing we can do to make that happen. There's, not, there's nothing we could do to earn that. But the good news is, Jesus has done it for us. He has done it for us. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, it's only when we recognize our own powerlessness, our own brokenness, and our own sinfulness that we can recognize the good news of great joy, a Savior who brings salvation and righteousness to us. The chasm was far too wide for us to cross. If you could do every good deed you could possibly do, it could never, ever be enough. And some of you, you're, you're trying so hard right now, or you're carrying some type of guilt for something you haven't done, and you just need to hear the good news. Your salvation is not your job. The job has been done for you. Jesus has already saved you. He has already clothed you with a garment of praise, a garment of salvation. He has given you his very own righteousness in exchange for yours. And it's a free gift of God's grace. So in the Psalms, King David prayed, O Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And sometimes we just need to pray, O God, restore the joy of my salvation. God, bring me back. God, remind me. God, show me again how fortunate, how blessed, how lucky I am to have you come to die for me. And God, remind me how needy, how broken, and how sinful I am so that I can grasp with joy the good news and the grace that I have received. And once we do that, once we get in touch with the radical gift of God's grace, we will do what Isaiah the prophet writes here. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God because he's given me his righteousness. So friends, that's, that's the secret of joy in Christ. And that's what I want to spend the last part of my sermon discussing. How do we experience, how do we experience the joy that's available to us in Jesus. Well, our other lectionary text that's assigned for today, uh, one of them anyway, is 1 Thessalonians 5. And in verses 16 through 18, the Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And friends, here's the secret of this passage. Rejoice is a verb. It's something we do. It is an action. Finding joy in God is a choice. And it can be a battle. It can be incredibly difficult. But it's a spiritual discipline. It's something we must choose. And so I want to ask you maybe a reflective question. How much joy in Christ should we expect to experience? How much joy 
how much joy should I expect to have in my life in Jesus? Well, I want to give you a little test based on 1 Thessalonians 5. Do I rejoice in God often or little? Do I pray often or little? Do I give thanks to God often or little? And by the way, these are all meant to be done corporately as the body of Christ. So do I rejoice, pray, and give thanks in community often or little? See, little to no rejoicing, little to no praying, little to no thanksgiving, little to no corporate worship, we should expect little to no joy. And some of us are just wishing, we're just wishing, oh, if I could just have more joy in my life. I'd love, I'd love to have some more joy in my life and just magically have it appear. But God is inviting you to choose to rejoice. To say, as Matthias said so eloquently before the, that song, yes, I will. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will. Even if I have to grit my teeth to do it, yes, I'm going to rejoice in my God. It's a choice. And to be clear, this is not about being happy all the time or pretending everything's okay. And I like what Gordon Fee says about this passage. He says, Paul's emphasis here is not so much on the experience of joy, but on the active expression of it. They are to rejoice always, which as Philippians 4.4 bears out, it means not simply to express joy in general, but to specifically to rejoice in the Lord. That's different. Rejoice in the Lord. So again, this is not a command to pretend everything is all right. It's not a command to be thankful even for all of our circumstances. No, it's a command, but it's also an invitation to do these things in all circumstances. So the secret of joy in Christ, friends, is knowing there is an incredible amount of joy available to you in Jesus, and now he invites you to enter in. And I believe you, we need worship in our lives, probably much more than we think. I mean, what did Paul say? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks. That's a whole lot of worship and praising of God. And sometimes, friends, I confess, I just have to find a place. I just have to set aside some time and say, I need to go for a drive and turn on some worship music in my car. I need to go and be in a room with just me and the guitar and the Lord and just rejoice and just praise Him because I need it. I need it. And I believe you need it too. Paul says, it's God's will for you. It's God's design for you. It's God's intention for you that you would live a lifestyle characterized by worship, by thanksgiving and prayer. Friends, doesn't your heart joyfully long to joyfully worship Christ? I want to remind us that all we need and all we should really want for Christmas this year is more of Jesus. We just need more of Jesus. So I invite you to do, do whatever you need to do to have more rejoicing, to have more thanksgiving and more time with the Lord in your life. Enter into his joy. So friends, I proclaim to you today good news of, of jo great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is Mas the Messiah, the Lord. His name is Jesus. His joy is available. His arms are wide open and he is waiting for you to enter into his joy. Will you enter in? Amen.